book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 23. Hebrews, again, a New Testament book. I put this verse in the, we, we put this as the starting piece. Well, the book of Hebrews talks a lot about things that are alluded to in the Older Testament. And so to, this, one of the more, the larger New Testament books is the book of Hebrews. To appreciate that book, it requires, it, it, it certainly invites us to go back and to look at stories of the past. The 11th chapter of Hebrews in particular, which is often called the Hall of Faith, it lists a lot of different people, men and women, who exhibited uh, an unusual kind of faith uh, that oftentimes it was amazing because they were very many of them were ordinary people who God actually had to talk into doing things, but the end result were were just these, these things that were designed to inspire us. And a part of that 11th chapter is devoted to the story of Moses. And I wanted us to start by looking at the 23rd verse because it says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful or a healthy child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, immediately what we're struck by, and Hebrews actually has more to say that we're going to look at in some of the weeks ahead, about Moses and his faith. But what, what has always struck me, and I'm certainly not the first one to notice this, this is something that some of you may have already noticed yourself, just looking at the verse, is that this is kind of a curious start because it begins with the phrase, by faith Moses. But then what follows in this verse, the first movement, has nothing to do with Moses directly at all. It has to do with his parents. It was the faith of his parents. So it says, by faith, Moses. And then it talks about a decision that was made by his parents. And we know from other places in the scripture what their names were. Um, Amram and Yochaved were his parents. They were, as I mentioned, two ordinary people. At the time, they were enslaved in Egypt, as their whole people were. Uh, they were from the tribe of Levi. We know that the baby Moses that's being referred to here was born about 64 years after the death of Joseph. And those of us who have some familiarity with Joseph and those who don't, I'm going to try to at least fill this in a tad, is that when, when, the, when the, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, when, they, when, they, when they were in a severe famine, and Jacob had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, you, this, is the, this is all the history, they, they, were, they were delivered because of Joseph being sold into slavery by his own brothers, and he was sold into Egypt, and he eventually rises to a place of great prominence, and he becomes a savior of his own people. And so the entire uh, clan, which was, they weren't a nation then, they were more of an extended family, a clan, comes to Egypt to live as Joseph has himself assumed a place of prominence. They are given by Pharaoh at that time an exquisite piece of land. Some people called it some of the best real estate in Egypt. It was called the land of Goshen. And in that land, which was tremendously... Uh, uh, bountiful, they prospered as a people for a number of years. But it says that something happened. It says, then there arose a king who knew not Joseph. A pharaoh came who had no real understanding or appreciation for the past. In fact, if anything, the, the people of Israel had proliferated to such a degree that they were actually becoming a concern to the Egyptian leadership. And we read here, and this is where I will, uh, what happens in those 64 years between the death of Joseph and the birth of Moses is recorded. And I put, and this is what we put in the, in the first parallel piece from Exodus 1. I want us to look at it. This provides a foundation for where we're going in the weeks ahead. It says this, that in time, Joseph and all of his brothers, they died. And in fact, an entire generation passed away. But their descendants, the Israelites, they had many children and many grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became uh, extremely powerful 
and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt, and this king who knew this pharaoh knew nothing about Joseph. He had no affections, nor knowledge of him, nor appreciation for him or his people. And he said to his own people, look, the people of Israel, now they're out. Now, this was a bit of an exaggeration, but this is how they felt. They are now outnumbering us and are stronger than we are. They're prospering ahead of us. It says this, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. And he says this, because if we don't, and if war breaks out, they will actually join our enemies, make us vulnerable. They could even fight against us. No, they will, and they will escape from this country. He says, no, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. And they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. In fact, they forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. That's what we're told here. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. It had the exact opposite effect. In fact, the, the, the more alarmed as their population, instead of shrinking under the oppression, actually grew, which is not uncommon. But oppressed people tend to grow. And so few joys in life, family becomes one of them. It says that so the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter. They forced them to mix mortar, to make bricks, and to do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in, the, in all their demands. That's the way we're given this picture. The fact of the matter was that uh, they became eventually so frustrated. In fact, Pharaoh, we're told, and the leadership of Egypt at that time, becomes so frustrated with with the fact that instead of the, the enslavement having the effect of diminishing the Israelites, they continue to grow. Uh, they, they, they made them then not only do slave labor in terms of building, but they actually had them do the construction of the mortar itself and the bricks. Still didn't work. So then someone came up with what we have to call a, a hellish diabolical plan. It's, it's almost inconceivable. Um, to think of it, what, what was being asked and what the, the decree was, but this is what it was. We'll put it up there from um, Exodus 1, 22. This is the conclusion they come to. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying that every son who is born you shall cast into the river. That would have been the river Nile. You can let your daughters live, but the sons need to be killed at birth. There were Egyptian midwives. There were, I mean, there were Egyptians uh, overseeing this entire process, uh, if you didn't do it, I mean, I, I tried to imagine my mind's eye. I mean, it's, uh, we were, some of us were talking about it. I mean, it's an inconceivable to me that someone could require us to kill our own son. Uh, and if, it was, if you didn't do it, it was done for you in front of your eyes. I mean, it was, a, it was brutal. Uh, the requirement was inconceivable. It was horrendous. It was horrifying. It was, it was unconscionable. And yet it was the situation that Israel found themselves in. And from a natural standpoint, we must say this, that in light of Pharaoh's uh, barbaric decree, which we've actually seen these things lived out in the 20th century that's just passed um, in horrific ways as well. But this decree, it, it, honestly, at the time, it never looked worse for the children of Israel. I mean, if you want to talk about a hopeless situation, you're enslaved, and now you're being told that every son that you have that's born must be killed thrown in the Nile River. And yet it was precisely at that moment, what appeared to be the lowest and most hopeless moment, that God actually um, brought something into being, that two people emerge, uh, and two very ordinary people do something that ultimately changes the world. I say changes the world because what they did produced a son who ultimately became a deliverer, who ultimately led a nation out of Egypt, who ultimately led them into a promised land, and that nation became a nation that produced Messiah. That Messiah becomes the savior of the world. 
and we all live because of it. Two people made a decision to change the world. Here's what we do. When we look back at Exodus 2, look with me if you can at the parallel piece there. Exodus 2, verse number 1. Look what happens here. It says this. This is the account that Hebrews 11.23 is referring to when it says the faith of Moses' parents, right? It says this. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife of a daughter of Levi. So that's what we're told that, that um, Amram and Yochaved, they uh, are married. They're from the same basic tribe of Israel. And it says that they, the woman conceived and bore a son. That's the son that we're going to know as Moses. And when she saw that he was a beautiful, a healthy loving child. She hid him three months. She tried to do everything she could, but then they got to a point where it was clear that they weren't going to be able to hide him anymore. And if he was discovered, not only would they be punished, but also he would be killed immediately. And so they decided to do something risky. They, they, they had a, a, a plan. It wasn't much of one, but it was something. Because this is how they are described as defi defying the command. It says that, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him. So they, they took some reason. They, they crafted a, a, a basket, but they wanted that basket to float so they took some tar, we're told, and some asphalt and pitch, and they put, they put it in, and they inhalated it so that the water wouldn't seep in, and it would float for a while. And then it must have been a crushing thing to do, but they made a decision together to place this baby, uh, who would ultimately become Moses, in that basket. And they, they couldn't throw him in. They, 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 they couldn't do anything else. And so they said, who can say what God will do? And they said something else we're told here, verse 4. It says, after they put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank, it says that, they, that his sister, we don't, it doesn't say her name. Her name is Miriam. Miriam is Moses' older sister. Uh, she was told to stay there and kind of watch what happens and tell us. And it says that, that, that her sister stood afar off to know what would happen to him, what would be done to him. And then the daughter of Pharaoh, and this is, this, this is the unexpected development, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and they were walking with her. She had her entourage, her attendants. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she probably asked, what's that? What do you see over there? Go get that. Let me see that. Maybe they heard something inside of it. They knew something was there. When they open it up, they see a baby. The baby's crying. She's immediately locks eyes with that baby, and, and her heart, the Bible says, was filled with compassion. Notice it says the daughter of Pharaoh, when she opened it up, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept, and she had compassion on him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And then, at that moment, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maiden went and called the child's mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away, nurse him for me, I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now, I want to say this. One of the people that's often not talked about nor appreciated nearly enough is Moses' sister Miriam. Because you want to talk about courage. Uh, she was not just courageous, she was shrewd. I mean, that's just a fact. She was a fast thinker. She was bold. She was courageous. Her wit not only made it possible for Moses to be nursed by his own mother. I mean, think about it. Here she is. She's looking. She's watching what's going on. She sees the look in the, in the, in the eye. And she says, as they're kind of talking to amongst each other, she says, she pops out of the bulrushes and says, you know, I have uh, someone who can take care of that baby for you. Uh, I have a Hebrew woman, I know a Hebrew woman who can nurse, nurse, nurse him for you. Do you want me to go get him, get, get, there, get her for him? Yeah, just go, you go do that. Okay. And, and she runs off, right? She comes back, right? But it's a brilliant stroke. Why? I mean, I mean, think about it. Not only does she make it possible for Moses to be nursed by his own mother, 
but also in a brilliant stroke of irony to be paid for raising her own son, <laughs> right? Who by all rights should have been dead. I mean, if you think about it, she, it, but it required the right, I mean, and we're gonna talk about this, but Miriam's wit, thoughtfulness, shrewdness, and courage, and willingness to risk and jump in there at the right moment was used by God to do something amazing. And I think, you know, uh, again, you, we, go, we go back to verse 10 if you can. It says this, that the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And, and she called his name Moses. So think about this. We always say Moses, Moses, deliverer of Israel. But the name Moses was given to that baby. His name, Moses, means one drawn out of the water. And it was the name that was given to him by Pharaoh's daughter. Interesting. But we go back to Hebrews 11.23. I'll put it back on the board again. Let's, let's look at it real quick. What, was, what does it say here? It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. They saw he was healthy and a lovely child. And, and it says that they were not afraid of the king's command. And now, now the fact is that what was their faith but a conviction? It says, by faith, Moses. What was that faith, Moses' parents' evidence? It was a conviction that, that was made. They made a decision to rebel against the king. Bottom line. They made a decision to rebel against the king's command. And although their situation looked hopeless, their faith prompted them to try anyway. And they refused to concede to the, parent, to the apparent hopelessness of their situation. And I think to concede would have been to give up. And I have no doubt that there were people who had given up. Why do you even talk about God anyway? What has God done for us? He's led us into Egypt and let our people become slaves. He doesn't hear our prayers. And now look, right when you said things may get better, it's worse than ever. They're killing our own kids, our own boys. For What, what, do you, what kind of God is this that would allow us to have to throw our own sons into the river to die? But they, why don't you give up on that pipe dream? And see, the fact of the matter is, though, that they decided to believe anyway. They had to take a risk. Whatever they could do, even if it had to do with just any kind of a chance, they, they were going to take it, even a remote one. And who knows? Maybe they said to themselves, look, we can't do We can't keep him. But who can say what God will do? Maybe. But I know this. We cannot kill him. That would, that, to do that, it says they rebelled against the king's command. I mean, when you look at that verse, it's pretty clear, right? They, what does it say? Oh, you know what's interesting, too? It says what? They were not afraid of the king's command. Well, actually, were they? I, I go, yes, they were. They were afraid. If they weren't afraid, why do you hide something if you're not afraid? But that's not what the Bible's saying. What it's really trying to say is this. Although they were afraid, and by the way, let me just point this out. There is no real courage if there's no real fear. Some people say, and this, and this is something I've read, I read, I've read about at different times in, mil in sort of military circles where they talk about people who charge hills and they say there's a fine line between courage and being crazy. And they say some people have no fear at all. So there's when there's no fear, there's really no courage because for courage to be there, there has to be a healthy fear to overcome, to be overcome. But if a person doesn't feel any fear at all and it's just the situation is just... It, it, the, the point being, it really struck me. I thought about it. There, you know, courage shows up when we're actually afraid, but we do it anyway. We do it anyway. We step past our fear. Fear doesn't dictate. It doesn't take much courage when we're not afraid, but when, we're, when we are afraid, it takes courage. 
And one of the things that's pretty clear is although they were afraid of the king's commands in the sense that they understood the implications of their disobedience and the danger in it, but it was by faith that they, were, they did not allow that fear, the fear of the king, to dictate their response because, it and it certainly implied in this verse, they believed that there was a higher uh, authority that forbade them to kill their own son regardless of the decree or the consequences it would bring. And so at the very least, we will give him a chance. Who can say what God will do? And, and let me just summarize what I've sort of alluded to with, with three quick statements. What this decision to disobey shows us is this. Number one, it reveals a faith that is, is hopeful, remains hopeful. Even in a dire situation, their faith, they had a hopefulness to them. Secondly, it, it, it revealed, this incident reveals a courage, a courage that refused to comply even though there were consequences, but they would not comply. They were willing to go against the grain and disobey. Thirdly, it, it was a wisdom that responded with creative activity. And I, and I love this one. And again, they had a plan. It wasn't much of a plan, but it was a plan. And it, was, it looked pretty meager, and it didn't look like it had a chance to work, but they were going to try anyway. And they made an ark, and they knew that this ark could float. And so they, they carefully prepared it. And, they, and then they assigned their daughter Miriam to, to work. And they, and they said, we just want you to, to watch out and see what happens. And then, of course, there's Miriam, who exhibits creative activity and wisdom because she, at the precise moment where the opportunity presents itself, steps forward and says, I know someone. Before they can even ask, who are you, she's already telling them, the answer that they are looking for. And you know what it reminds us of? The right word at the right time given in the right way can oftentimes open up a door, and, and we're amazed at it. But it was because she was there, ready, and we're going to talk about that. The suggestion was timed right, spoken well. It's hard not to, it's not to see it. Now, saying those things leads us to this. And again, a big part of what we're going to be doing in this journey into the call of Moses is asking the questions of, okay, so how does that apply to us in our own walk with God in this life, in this present time of ours? How do we work this in? What are some things to look at? Look at? How can that teach us? What can we learn? One of the things that's worth noticing immediately in my mind, some things that I would like us to remember before we go, is that the first thing that stands out here is that our faith, and this is how I processed it out, okay? Our faith story, our, our story of faith, our walk with God, what got us here, at some level, is always going to be connected to other people. We don't do it alone. In Moses' case, like some of us, I mean, it was directly connected to his parents. I mean, again, I mean, you know, I think about, you know, some of us, you know, think about it. His faith story begins with a faith that wasn't even his own. By faith, Moses, and then it talks about his parents' faith. So his faith story begins with a faith that wasn't even his own. A lot of us, we've had people in our lives, and some of you, if, I mean, I, I meet you every now and then, who you had two people, two, you had a mom and dad who, who, who loved the Lord and stayed together, and uh, I, I, I always say how much um, you were blessed. Because I didn't get that, you know? And I'm not mad. It's just that my wife didn't get it either. And so we both, we both, we both talk to each other. About, you know, sometimes it's hard to model what you've never seen. And yet at the same time, we've had people, I know a lot of us have, I had someone in my life come in and step in at a very critical period. I had a number of people who, if they hadn't stepped in, I don't think I would be following the Lord. 
If I wasn't following the Lord, I wouldn't be able to do anything that I'm even remotely being given the opportunity and the privilege to do in terms of service for the Lord. And I thought it's because other people stepped into place. I thought about my grandfather. I thought about how he taught me how to love God, how he prayed. He wasn't a perfect man, but he loved God. He was real. He was authentic. Made a difference. Thought about people who came in when I was a teenager, youth leaders who invested themselves, who took time out of their busy schedules to love, pay attention. Thought about friends that I made that, that helped me to learn how to love God with them. Thought about the people that were connected to our, you know what, all of us, listen, none of us do this alone. We all, our faith story, whatever, whoever we are in God, wherever we are at, is connected to other people. For some of us, it was a parent or parents, it was a grandparent who never stopped praying for us, believing that God would come back. I talk to people all the time, and they say, you know what, they, they, I, I kind of wandered off course for a while, but you know what, I feel like God's calling me back home, and people have been praying for me for a long time. I talked to a man at the men's retreat this last week, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm not making it, I, I run into men, and, I, and I, see te- I see tears welting up in their eyes. They start talking about what God's doing in their life. I was talking to this one, and he was saying, you know what, my, I've, I've been away for a while, but I had a dad who loved God. And, and, and there was just that connection. You could feel it. And then I'm going, a lot of, we meet a lot of people as a surprise. I'm coming home. My, my, my grandma's been praying. My mom's been praying for me. I have an aunt. I have an uncle. I, I've got, a, I've got a, a sister who's been watching out for me, trying to remind me to, to get things in order, to not just, not just turn away from me. I mean, I, I, you know, I hear people. I hear people talk. You look at some of our faith stories. They're connected to somebody we met at school. Somebody we met at a university campus, somebody we met in high school, somebody who we were, others of us, we were working with someone. They took some time. They took a little courage. They took some risks. They talked about Jesus. They invited us to come. Someone said, hey, you know, you're having problems. Have you ever thought about maybe letting God help you? you ever, why don't you come? And we, all of us are connected to other people. And that should really humble us, in one. And two, it should make us want to be available to other, to being that kind of a life giver to other people as well. Give as we have been given. Some of us, we don't even know the decisions that were made that have allowed for us to receive the blessing we have. A lot of people had to make decisions, some of whom will never know who their names are and will never know those decisions, but somebody made a decision to honor God and not quit. And they prayed, and they prayed for the generations. They prayed for their friend who had a friend who had a friend who who knew somebody who had a baby, and that baby became someone who ended up sharing Christ with, I'm telling you, with us. If we were to look back, how did I get to where I am with God? And we were to trace it back in all the different ways, it would go. It comes down to people making decisions and praying. None of us are self-made. Moses wasn't self-made. The fact of the matter is, we all have a connected story with God. And, some, and what does that mean to, to us? What should it mean? Because otherwise it's just a nice thing to think about. It means this, decisions we make matter, especially as they relate to God and how they show up in our, and how our relationship with the Lord shows up in our lives. The choices we make, they matter. They affect people and people's children and their children that come after them. Because sometimes we forget that our effect is like an arrow shot through time. And it has far more of a reach than we'll ever imagine. Who can say how much rides on crucial decisions that we're making, tough calls, courageous calls, when everything in us wants to quit, run away, take the easy out, but we know what God is saying to us. So we hold the line. God needs people to hold the line. He needs parents like the parents of Moses who will say, 
we believe. God may do something. Now, secondly, not far behind it, what is needed, look at this, if you can, just stay with me on this. What is often needed is that while we are waiting for our deliverance, here's something that was, was at least impressed me, that there's a posture that we need to take. Okay, you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, okay, we may not be enslaved, but some of us may feel very captive to situations in our lives. There may be things that if we had our way, we would want to change them absolutely. We've been praying for God to bring breakthrough. We feel contained. We feel confined. We feel trapped. We feel hemmed in. We want to see breakthrough come. Our prayer has been for breakthrough. We want to see God do it. We want to see this situation turn around. Our prayer of deliverance, we want it to be answered. But I'm going to suggest that there's a key thing. In our places of confinement, when we find ourselves in need of deliverance, one of the most important things to keep an eye on is our attitude. The attitude is huge. The attitude, you could say, is almost everything. In places of confinement, play it out, in places of confinement, we have to watch our attitudes more than any time. Be it to be on guard against allowing anger to run rampant, bitterness, to take place in us, uh, to have a residence in us, to get, let resentments build. Uh, discouragement starts to define our demeanor. Uh, we start walking around with a dark cloud. People don't want to be around us. We, we begin to affect the situation adversely. I mean, when, you, when we come into a place and there's negativity and anger and resentment and bitterness, it's like a cloud and you walk into it. It sucks all the life out of you. Nothing lives there. It's death. God doesn't want his people living like that. You say, well, you don't know my situation. I'm confined. I'm, I have no freedom. I mean, it's like Moses saying, they're, they're, God's, they're making us kill our own kids. I mean, think about what they were, they were in, where they were at. And yet they said, but they had, look at what I said. They had a faith. They had an optimism. They had an attitude of hopefulness. They did not allow the negativity of their situation to define their attitude, but rather they trusted God. Even when it was very difficult to do it, they still retained the faith that caused them to act creatively, and God did an amazing thing. Sometimes faith walkers stumble in to heaven's plan, and the incredible is released. And it's just, but it won't happen if we cut off what God wants to do by having an attitude that constricts the flow of God's movement in our life. And I'm going to say that, that those are the type of things that we need to really watch out for when, when things are not going well for us. Because it can so easily start to define who we are. And God calls, you know, I meet people, I say, well, you know, you impress me. I'm, I, uh, you know what, you are awesome. Because I know, what's go I know what you're walking through. And you inspire me. Because I see, I don't see defeat and death in your eyes. And I don't see you mad at everybody. I don't see you looking for an excuse to be offended. And you know what I see? I see, I see you trying to bless. And I see, I see the joy of the Lord. And you know what? It's not hard for me to pray for your deliverance. I, I look forward to the day when God swings that door open. And that's the third piece here. Is there are going to be times when the Lord will want to swing that door open. And when he does, we need to be prepared for that moment. Prepare for the moment when God swings open the door. Miriam, Moses' sister, she was ready, right? Just a crack in the door, but she went in. And, and you know, there are times where God, God wants us to be ready to deliver. He, he's just like he wants to deliver for us, and he wants us to be ready for it. But we got to be looking for it. we got to have the right attitude. If we're, if we're, we got to be patiently positioned 
to receive the blessing when the opportunity arises. And frequently, that opportunity will require a creativity and a sensitivity and a wisdom and, a, and a, an ability to speak something into being when the opportunity arises. And if, our, if we're in a bad place, when that door swings open and we miss our moment because we're so focused on the wrong things, then we lose what it is that God wants to do. Listen, we have to prepare for the moment that may never happen. And at the same time, because you see, sometimes we go, well, when's it going to, I don't know. But what if it does? Are you ready for it? Are we ready? Can we be ready for the moment that may never happen? And that has a lot to do with keeping our attitude. Again, on the one hand, we need to, we need to watch our attitudes and, the, and make sure that we're not trying to make something happen that, sh- that we can't control it. But on the other hand, we need to be very careful not to lose our optimism and our hope and our trust in God, that we, the kind of a faithfulness that allows us to be creative thinkers because at, the, at its core, part of what God wants to teach us how to do is to be problem solvers. And problem solvers means we need to be filled with his wisdom and to be creative thinkers and to listen and to learn and to grow and to think out and to be open. But when we're all closed up and being defined by our, suffocated by our, own situation and allowing that to define us we don't have the ability to to say lord show me the way let me see it when it comes when that door opens up give me the courage to step into it let me show you as we as we close the final verse that we'll just throw up there we'll close with this it says this in in, now think about it in psalm 37 it says this commit your way to the lord trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your, your uh, justice as the noonday. I love this. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait, wait, but didn't you just say prepare for the moment that may never happen? Yes. But you're saying now wait patiently for him. I mean, yes, that's a paradox. That's why it's both and. It means that on the one hand, we are to wait for God Wait for him, trust him, keep our attitude in a good place, not get mad. We'll have reasons to do it. We'll have reasons to get upset. We'll have reasons to get mad at people. Uh, Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at people. On the other hand, the temptation might be, I got to make this thing happen. I got to wait. I got to, I got to, I got to, I can't trust. I got to do something. I got to do something. And you know what? That there's this balance between being prepared for when the door opens, but at the same time waiting for the door to open. You see what I'm saying? The door opens and Miriam goes in. But if we try to kick open a door before it's time, we will oftentimes undermine what God's trying to do in our situation. So there's this kind of position that we have to hold on the one hand that says, Lord, I am trusting you. I'm hopeful. I'm going to remain creative, optimistic. I'm going to refuse to allow the negativity of this situation to dictate my demeanor and attitude. But on the other hand, Lord, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to try to trust you, be patient with the process, wait this thing till it's the proper time to act, get good counsel, pray, Stay close to you so when that time comes, and when it does, Lord, and it will, may I have the courage then to respond wisely, properly, when the door opens up, and it's just a matter of time until it does, may I move with what you're trying to do. Think about it. Because of their willingness to do this, all of us are blessed. So, Lord, as we are here on this, on this Sunday, as we begin this journey together, as we... Yeah, you know, Lord, we are excited about your words because your words are spirit and they are life. They show us a way to live, Lord, a way that will bring forth blessing. And even now, Lord, I am thankful for the examples of people in, in our lives who, 
who loved us and who have prayed for us and who have believed for us, believed in us, Lord, even when maybe sometimes we, we were very resistant. But even now, Lord, our heart has been softened. and we're, we, Some of us have come home now, Lord, and, and, and some of us right now, we're walking through some very difficult places and we do feel confined and we feel disappointed. And part of us, Lord, is struggling to retain a hopefulness about us. And the easy thing would be to give in and accept the defeat, accept that you're calling us, Lord, to rebel against that feeling and to trust you and to be patient and optimistic and to pray into something that may, may not even happen the way that we might think it might, but, Lord, it's going to happen. And when it does, we want to be prepared to receive the blessing. In fact, sometimes you want to send people our way, Lord, and the key is going to be, are we in a position to even recognize what you're trying to send us? Or are we... Are, Lord, keep us in the right place so that when you send the answer, we can receive it. I really pray for that, for all of us. I pray that faith would grow as the noonday sun. In Jesus' name, I pray that you'd bless this time as we close the service with our song, with our time of giving. Just pray that you would be honored in everything that we do as we close this out in the remaining time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. Amen. Amen.